You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Maybe Woody Allen, maybe Spike Lee, maybe Technicolor. SequelCast Special, a show about random topics in pop culture. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Thrasher. You know, the resolution on this TV is so low, you can't even see my obscene tattoo. And Alex. This disc is only playable in North America. We're going to be talking tech, as we do sometimes on the show, uh, specifically about region coding on uh, home video, like a VHS PAL, uh, maybe not that far, but you know, DVD, 4K, Blu-ray, 4K, whatever, and also 4K and 8K resolutions, and uh, yeah, just kind of talking shop a bit. It's something that um, I think about a lot, and I, I managed to have a 4K TV this past year, and I have um, some thoughts about the the tech. I don't think it's fully baked, even though now we're seeing consumer TVs with 8K, and you get the PlayStation 5 and Xbox One Series X saying, oh, I can play a game in 8K, which has its own problems, but we'll get there. Um, so yeah, high definition, all these things. High definition is a term that's been used a long time. I mean, even you look at some Atari games, and it says these are in high definition, right? The term high itself, resolution, at least. It's one of those things that sounds good, but can... It, uh, it, it means nothing. mean anything, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I recall this would have been in, in 2002 or so. I, I took a trip with my family to, uh, with my mom, my stepdad, and some friends of the family to Manhattan, uh, which was wonderful and saw some Broadway shows. And we went to uh, 30 Rock uh, to do the NBC studio tour. And they had something you set in a, I don't know if anyone has seen something like this. Uh, you can see it sometimes at aquariums and things like that, but it's a theater that's like a dome. And it's kind of projected almost all around you. It's like a super curved screen. Oh, well, Omnimax, yeah. I think. Is what it's like almost like IMAX, but better. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is they're trying to show off what HD TV would look like, what the future of television would look like. But all the clips are such low resolution, it all looked like shit. Or maybe the projector <laughs> was crap. Like, right. it really did not sell me on it. And I'm like, what? This is what well, they're... Well, that's some, that's something that a lot of people don't grasp about about high definition formats and like resol and resolutions and things like that is that something something shot in a low resolution won't ne necessarily look any better in fact won't look any better on higher resolution in fact may often look worse i remember when when i used to work at uh used to work at a certain game seller and reseller uh, oh, just to say the name jesus christ okay gamestop yeah it's it's yeah. been enough of a grace they're going to go out of business soon anyway but right <laughs> that's oh, been their oh, fear oh, oh, for the past oh, oh, oh. 10 years they are always oh. act like they're on the verge of collapse and that does not help <laughs> that company's culture at all but there was a there was a, a customer who had gotten the ps3 i think when it was back you know back when it was the new thing 
uh, and it could play PS2 discs. And so a new Silent Hill game had come out, and it had come out for PS2 and PS3. He specifically got the PS2 version because, uh, like, well, yeah, but the PS3 will make it look as good as the PS3 version. Like, well, no, no, it won't. That oh. that disc is only going to make it look as good as the PS2 version. You can't. There's no hardware that is going to scale up the graphics of an older generation's game. Um, at that time, that's true. That's changed since then. And I'll also, I don't want to get into the video game stuff too much because that's kind of its own topic. But PlayStation 3 was, I mean, Sony launched it, launched it at like $599 and the, um, whatever big muckety-muck at Sony, I'm paraphrasing here at E3, said something like, uh, pe- the system's so good, people are going to want to work two jobs to afford it. Oh my goodness! Like fuck you, dude. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good hook. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But I mean, it was uh, uh, anyhow. You know, the launch systems were backwards compatible with PS2. Then, as they wanted to get a bigger market hold, they took that uh, compatibility out, and uh, eventually, the PS3 ended up outselling the Xbox 360 worldwide. Um, not in the states, but anyhow. Yeah, it, it, it's just such a big boondog, all this compatibility stuff. But I think, you know, as we talk about kind of the future of um, 4K and all this stuff, what's the first time you went to a movie theater and it had that promo? If For listeners that might not know, uh, kids, movie theaters are big buildings you could go into <laughs> and watch a movie projected against the screen, pay too much for popcorn and beer and soda, and uh, and you pay anywhere from five to 25 bucks a pop to to see something once without and saying to, the year that makes it clear that we recorded this in late 2020 and yes. you had to figure out a perfect time in the movie when it was appropriate to go pee which is in fact the, there's apps for that that tell you when are good times to go pee oh really that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah i've never used them but um yeah i there's a, definitely been a few movies where i've been crossing my legs doing the little dance that's what oh, the popcorn yeah. buckets for <laughs> Once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah. That, that's why popcorn is yellow. I never realized that. No, <laughs> but um, you know, when is the first time, fellas, you went to a theater and it had that thing like 4K projection? It always does this graphic. It doesn't say maybe if it's a Sony projector or not, but it'll say you know, or maybe in in the um, on the ticket it says this is a 4K presentation. For me, it was a movie that's pretty was pretty underwhelming. Um, not the movie itself, but just when you when you think 4K, I'm paying more, you know, potentially paying more money for something in a primo theater. Uh, my wife was was playing, uh, was uh, um, doing some classes she had to do for work, so I had to drive out to meet her at this theater uh, about 30 minutes away. And I'm sure listeners love all these details. And um, we were, we were going and uh, saw the the Seth MacFarlane movie Ted. Which I think is a pretty funny movie, and we should probably cover those on the sequel cast two show because they did two of them oh, uh, yeah. about Mark Wahlberg with the profane teddy bear, anthropomorphic teddy bear with no genitals, um, and yeah. and it's like this is a 4K presentation, and I think it kind of looked like shit really because right. it, the projector wasn't great and it had a, a strobing effect anytime the camera panned. Yeah, and I think my contention with like the 4K phenomena is that. I think I just have like a very sensitive eye. I'll get into that later. But what I think it is is that I think there's almost such thing as like too much resolution. Because say you mm, shoot something sure. on film, and then yes. it's presented in this high f- format digital. It's like if you look at like 4K imagery versus your average 1080p Blu-ray, 
it almost looks overdefined, and it's kind of like the Uncanny Valley, where it's like you yes, need sure. some semblance of artifice in order to like interpret the material properly. Whereas, like I'm looking at these side by sides right now of like you know Christian Bale's face from 310 Yuma or uh, mm. shot from Blade Runner restorations, yeah. and it's like I can see every little mark and you know glisten of skin on his face, and it's almost like too much. Like it's better than my vision, and that well, takes me out of the human eye. Of. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was something. Yeah, I mean, there there is a limit to how much information the the human eye can take in, and we're hit. We're getting damn close to hitting that limit uh, with these resolutions if we haven't hit it already. But I remember when um when the first Avengers movie came out on DVD, that uh, every place that sold uh, televisions was using that to sell their television. The you go disc, in and it sure. would just be Avengers yeah. on a loop, and the higher the definition of the television, the worse that movie looked. To the yeah. point where on the highest definition televisions available at the time, like the scene where Thor gets on top of the Empire State Building and starts channeling lightning, yeah. nothing has looked more like something filmed on a small soundstage than that. Yeah, because yeah, they do this weird kind of layering thing where, you know, images in the foreground almost look like they're like popping from Paste the it on. Yeah, it, it looks mm. horrible to me. It just and then right. when you watch an older film, say you pop in, um, you know, I don't know, The Sting or something like that, it looks like right. shit. It looks just horrible. Okay, well, and sometimes let's, let's circle can, back to the. Oh, go on, Thrasher. Well, just sometimes you can compensate for that by adjusting the settings on your television. Yeah, but there are so many yeah. settings. Like right, exactly. And sure, what works can... for one experience may not work for another. Exactly. exactly. Well, let's let's dig into that, but in a second. But let's circle back to the original question, which was, "What's the first movie in a theater in 4K where it had some graphic that said this is a 4K presentation?" I don't think they do that as much anymore, but certainly when they were were pushing that tech in the in the movie theaters, you saw that. I'm not 100. percent I want to say maybe uh, maybe it was Avatar. Um, okay, go... sure, that could be. Yeah, yeah, that would probably be the mo- most viable candidate for me. Yeah. Um, did you walk away going that looked a lot better or this looks kind of weird my eyes aren't well, there used was to look... so much spectacle surrounding like the imagery of that film yeah, and, and just, it was easy to get caught up with the whole 3D thing too um, and when you wear the 3D glasses it darkens the image of course it darkens the image yeah and it just there's so much emphasis on what's popping out at you rather than what's simply mm. in, in the frame yeah Thrasher I, I am not sure uh i am in the process of trying to figure out what what that was um because i think i think honestly i think the first 4k i think the first 4k thing i might have seen would have been wally on dvd or blu-ray oh yeah oh because it's a digital transfer sure Um, yeah and is that something you watched and you're like well this looks much crisper i mean i will say for animation and especially computer animation and that sort of stuff you don't lose that degradation in quality as much as you're you might be going from film to a digital transfer to film transfer to a home video transfer right you don't lose all those generations of uh, quality no that's 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 true i mean it, it looked it looked gorgeous it looked it looked just as gorgeous as it as it looked in the theater there you go um hmm all right well, yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of different things we can touch on here. And one that you mentioned, Thresher, kind of jokingly, but we should dig into it a little bit, is the <laughs> poor... We all live in the United States, as of this recording. And uh, the poor infrastructure of the Internet in the United States compared to other countries. Because 
let's face it, the physical, I hate saying this, and we've talked about this ad nauseum in other sequel cast special episodes, but the physical disc format is going the way of the dodo. It, it's maddening, yeah. I, I agree. and I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can. No, oh. I, certainly, because you have control. Uh, my biggest argument for physical disc is you can control what you want to watch at any time. On the streaming services, they pull stuff all the time with no warning. Stuff is often presented uh, more and more now censored or in the wrong aspect ratio. Um, and the quality is frankly not as good. But especially for 4K, um, when I moved, I, I broke my old TV by accident. Um, that's not very convincing, is it? Okay. So uh, <laughs> the, the TV broke during the move and we had to buy a 4K TV. We didn't have to buy a 4K, but that's what the tech was. And I wanted to do it for the new video game systems coming out, PlayStation 5, all that stuff. And we just got an Xbox One X, so that's kind of fun to, to monkey with. Anyhow, you know, on streaming stuff, they say, oh, this is in 4K, especially like Disney Plus, right? You get 4K without having to pay a higher price tier at this point. Um, I bet you they'll change that. And yeah. the problem is, so I have uh, Comcast Internet. I'm supposed to be getting 250 megabit per second. I often get much lower than that. I'm doing right. a wireless uh, Wi-Fi connection from, let's say, the Apple TV device. Uh, to the Wi-Fi thing, even though they're in the same room. And on 4K, uh, it's kind of like a high-quality YouTube video. I have to pause before the movie starts, let it buffer a little bit. Uh-huh. And even then, sometimes it stutters and struggles to play the fucking thing. Even yeah. though it looks better, like it still looks almost like Unreal, and it's like, wow, you know, this is... I don't feel like I wasted my money. And certainly uh-huh. I have my TV... You talked about the TV settings. There's like... Out of the box, it has that stupid, what I call a soap opera mode, where everything yeah. looks fake, everything's like done to 60 frames a second, which that might look good when you're playing a video game, but then if you're watching a, a scene of people talking or watching a movie or something, it looks like Benny Hill. Everyone's walking around really really fast. Yeah, it's like sped up almost. It's mm-hmm. not good. And like, like you were saying with the Wi-Fi thing, and I can't tell you how many times, whether it was here or old apartment or whatever be we i remember the other day we were watching i don't know archer or futurama or something and it was just like uh, just skipping and coughing and it was like this is why we own things on this is why we own dvds and blu-rays because yeah because like until the laser dies on the the thing and then if the right. laser dies you're better off buying a new drive instead of getting it repaired because it's right about the same cost yeah well, and like p- part of it is like again in the in the United States, our telecommunications infrastructure is a horrendous Frankensteinian monstrosity that is uh, that is controlled by a series of uh, telecom fiefdoms conglomerates uh, yeah. that we all owe, owe leal service to, uh, and it's still also largely based on copper wire, which is the best possible wire you can use for a telegraph. Not that good for <laughs> many things post telegraph. Right. It's well, why don't you talk about um, your experience uh, with with kind of stuff like stuttering or with streaming? Because it doesn't, even when my TV wasn't 4K, I sound like such a snob saying that, like stuff wouldn't play seamlessly all the time, even with an Ethernet cr- connection with the wire plugged directly into the back of the um, whatever I'm streaming on, the Xbox, whatever it is. Well, I thankfully, I have barely had had to deal with any of that. Uh, and and I'll go and I'll go into why. Uh, those of you who listened to the original sequel cast back in the day may remember that there's a whole year's worth of episodes where my audio quality is shit, and I often drop out of the episodes mid-recording. Yes. So 
the reason why is that we were getting our we were getting our internet through one of those horrendous local monopolies. Uh, and the whole reason that was happening is it turns out the internet speed we were paying for was not a speed that our area could support. Now, we were still paying for it, so anytime we came close to using that much bandwidth, it would overload the local system, and we would get booted from the internet. Yeah, and, and it, it took another... three months to figure this out. That's ridiculous. Going back mm. and forth, and of course, when we figured it out, we uh, they and they determined, oh yeah, yeah, we can't supply the thing you've been paying for for six months. Uh, we're not going to give you that money back. Uh, so yeah, and and we had other problems with streaming. Sometimes it would take forever for things to buffer. Images would skip. So then we moved to the state capital, uh, Frankfort, Kentucky. Here, we don't have to deal with one of those telecom companies. Uh, the internet is handled through a local utility, the Frankfurt Plant Board, which is part of the county government. It has been the most stable and easy to work with internet I've ever had. <laughs> Go figure. And yeah. not that expensive either. Well, yep. It all has to do with, in, in the United States, where you live and what's available. Um, and I'm glad you described your situation. I'm frankly quite uh, envious. Because why don't you, can you say what you pay and what your internet speed is supposed to be? Um, off the top of my head, no. I might have a bill in the room, though. I'll see if I can find it. Okay. Uh, Alex, why don't you go next? Yeah, it was like you're um, saying, I, you know, you pay X amount of dollars for, or usually too many dollars, for <laughs> however yeah. many uh, megabytes per second, and you don't necessarily always get that. You actually get so much less. And what was so maddening was that at my old place, when I lived in an apartment building, I, you know, if I was online at 2 a.m., I was going strong. If I logged on, if not, no one logs on, but if I was online at, you know, 12 afternoon on a Saturday, I could barely watch a YouTube clip because mm. all of the other sig conflicting signals. And yes. it's like, what's the point of paying, you know, 70, 80 bucks a month for, you know, one third of the speed that I'm getting? It was ridiculous. And if I scaled back to less bandwidth, I would just get less than what I'm already getting, which is very good. It looked like a slideshow. So, like, right now, could yeah, you say... Would you mind saying what you're paying and what your speed is supposed to be? That's actually provided through my uh, monthly rent, actually, so I don't know. All right, huh. so I found... That, that, that's a nice... Um, I've never had that when I rented uh, uh, apartments before. Yeah, neither oh. have I. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I found, I found, uh, I found uh, a bill... Uh, so it does, it does not, it does not say what the speed is, uh, but, uh, it looks like we're paying $41 and seven cents a month. Okay. So like That's here in, in Portland, Oregon, unfortunately, uh, Xfinity has a stranglehold on the Ugh. local market and we live out by Gresham, which it's not, it's more out by the woods, but it's still in Portland city limits. Um, kind of outer Southeast, which means nothing to our listeners, but uh, so I am paying, and I every two years when the contract runs out, I have to yell and scream and haggle with them to try and get a good deal. It's exhausting. Oh. It's oh, I yeah. pay we I pay sixty dollars a month for what's supposed to be two hundred fifty megabits a second for internet. What I often get is maybe a fifth or a sixth of that. This is with me owning my own router, mm -hmm. owning my own modem. Um, oh, yeah. Using Cat Seven cables, which is overkill. They're supposed to transmit, I don't know, like seven gigs per second. Like I, I use better cables because sometimes you get a better bump in speed. And 
you know, if I was to go to the next biggest uh, company in the area, uh, based on where I live, it's kind of in the the boondocks or something, kind of out in the boonies. The most internet I could get would be like twenty megabits a second. And right. currently, during the pandemic, my wife and I both work from home. We both have to do uh, video conferencing. I set mine to standard definition, not even high definition, because it skips all the time. And I had to yeah, spend a hundred dollars on a Wi-Fi repeater. Like it's it's fucking bananas and then you go to um i mean when i went god even over uh 15 years ago now when i went to japan with some friends for a month like the internet there just blew me away and was so much cheaper and yeah and and the infrastructure even on the trains you could get the internet and it was like silky smooth yeah Um, and that and on top uh, of all of this the the diarrhea frosting on this turd cake uh, (laughs) in in america that we have throttling where your internet service provider can just decide arbitrarily oh, yeah. to just slow down your speed for any right. goddamn reason. And not just well, that, that's gotten, speed. I've noticed that's gotten significantly worse since they, um, since under the Trump administration in the U.S., they shut down the internet, what's the internet equality thing called? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, the, the net neutrality. Net neutrality, thank you, net neutrality. I find it's gotten much worse, and maybe it's just yeah. me, but it's... No, it's not just you. Like, you know, I would complain on customer service and like, I'm a pretty nice, soft-spoken guy, but if you ever heard me on the phone with Verizon or Spectrum, (laughs) it sounds like I am, the devil is speaking for me, I should not. Um, And you know what, too, I am pretty, not pretty sure, I'm 99% sure that they bid on territory. For instance, when I lived in Pittsfield, when I moved into my apartment, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, call and set up my internet. So I called uh, you know, Spectrum, because I hate Verizon. And they said, oh, well, you're just out of the territory. Sorry. So uh-huh. I called Verizon and said, oh, you're just in our territory. Great. So after, you know, two or three years of hating Verizon and struggling with the crappiest internet ever, I suddenly, went, just when I was just about fed up I with, with Verizon, I suddenly magically was in the Spectrum territory. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, was a very, it was very convenient how that all shaped out, that right when my Verizon service just hit such a shitty hell bottom, I was all of a sudden magically qualified for something that I couldn't get two years ago. Yeah, and um, um, we'll get back talking about home video and, and 4K stuff pretty quickly here, but in Portland, Oregon, they did an interesting experiment not too long after I moved here, and some cities have something that's called free public internet. Where the bandwidth isn't great, but let's say if you can't afford the the internet, which I think frankly is a utility, you need it to apply to jobs. You mm-hmm. you know if you don't want to go to the library, um, uh, they, they wanted to have you know some kind of low bandwidth internet that would be free for the populace of Portland and the the downtown area. Great. Well, they picked a company that previously did this in in like Pittsburgh and failed. Mm. And uh, Portland, because we have. Um, one of the many nicknames for Portland is Bridgetown. We have like a lot of rivers going through different parts of the city and bridges and hills and woods and all these things that fuck up the signal. Uh, they couldn't do it. It was like drinking uh, a milkshake through a, uh, a teeny tiny straw. Right. And, and they ended up just like letting the whole thing fail after a few years and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on it. Uh, and like, I, I like that idea, but I, I don't, I mean, you need the internet to power all this stuff. And if you're going to move all this stuff to streaming with 4K and 8K, you're going to need much higher bandwidth. Uh, a coworker of mine moved out to the woods, has over you know a few acres of land, gorgeous, gorgeous area. And he, the, the fastest internet he can do is not satellite, but using his cell phone as a hotspot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that's just, 
and this is in 2020, the internet has been around for the general public for over 25 years, 30 years maybe. I don't know. Like, it depends on where you live or whatever. But th- this isn't the same new technology at this point. Right. And more, more of the United States is on dial-up internet than you might think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. We're Thrasher. talking about oh. sort of like horrible things that we have to deal with because of the way telecom companies work. This this was a huge problem back when I lived in Savannah, Georgia, where, you know, if you oh, wanted yeah. your internet hooked up or changed or whatnot, they would have to send someone out to your house. Ugh. And it, and it would always be, all right, well, we can have someone there sometime between 10 and 3, which means <laughs> if you work a job, you've got to clear out that time to let someone into your mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And across the board, they would always show up around 6 a.m. <laughs> right. Yeah. Banging on your goddamn door. Right. I, okay, I once was staying over at a girl at a girlfriend's apartment and that happened just at, at six uh-huh. at six AM telecom person banging on the door because they were <laughs> upgrading the internet on the building. And of course they weren't supposed to be there till like I think three days later at ten o'clock. Oh, my That's Pardon crazy. sir, I don't mean you can see my weenus, but uh, just just a minute here. Let me look decent. No, One yeah, of the it's... best things this this was in I think this might have been around 2008 a uh that had happened to a guy like a guy had stayed had taken the day had stayed home from work because he had to wait for somebody to show up and set up his internet and the person never showed up so well turns out that guy was a lawyer so he sued his own internet provider for for wasting his time for back for for the money he couldn't get because he wasn't at the law firm that day exactly sure and he had just made partner so that was quite a bit of change man wow okay (laughs) i I mean yeah let's Get back to the kind of original idea of the topic with the 4K and stuff. Um, can you tell the the difference, really? We mentioned, you know, if you're watching at home or in a theater. And, and I have a 4K TV. I don't... Do either of you have one? No. Uh, what do you say, Thrasher? Yes. You do? Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to say, these are all first world problems, right? We're not right. starving... <laughs> In a city struggling to get our, uh, to get, you know, a tenth of a meal a day. Well, to be fair, right? this is 2020, though. In, we're in the United States. I just want to give that context, right? It is, right. podcasts generally are about white people complaining, and we're quite good at that. But <laughs> let's, but let's, but, but yeah, back but, to yeah, the topic. But Doctors Without Borders is now coming here. <sighs> I, you know, I find that not that unbelievable. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into the. I'm not. US I'm not joking. Situation. That was that was a headline yesterday. Are you fucking yeah. kidding, Todd. Well, I'm I, not I've kidding. Worked, I, I've worked with healthcare, um, in uh, for computer IT healthcare stuff for a while. But I, I'm okay. That's I'm not going to get into that. Um, but that's interesting. What was I saying? Yeah. Oh, about uh, about 4K. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> with 4K televisions. Uh, you know, ha- having having the TV and I you mentioned all the settings initially, like I accidentally had turned the 4k upscaling setting off upscaling means the TV has hardware in it that will bump up whatever you're doing to 4k resolution and somewhat do it intelligently, not make stuff look, um, make it look like the faces are stretched out or or whatever. And I have it set kind of to the max settings to make it look as nice as possible. And I'm playing older stuff and it looks good. It doesn't look great. Of course, the native 4K stuff looks better. Like on Hulu, I watched a 4K streaming presentation of Bumblebee, the uh, sixth Transformers movie, something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and and that looked quite good. That looked great. But seventh if you count the animated one. God damn uh-huh. it, you're right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like um I guess the thing is is that from each format, like, you know, when yes. DVD first came out, it was a bee's knees. And then you're like, oh, how much better does it look than VHS? And you watch a VHS tape, and you're like, oh, duh, it looks much better. And it was kind of the same thing with DVD to Blu-ray. At first, you're kind of like, um, am I going to resist this? Then you watch, you know, freaking uh, Heat or Last of the Mohicans on Blu-ray. And you're like, oh, wow, this is a superior format. So, I mean, I, I, I think- would say, it'll, well, I mean, yeah. So, like, from standard definition 480i to DVD, no doubt, was a huge leap. Oh, yeah, totally. Thrasher, do you want to talk about that some? Oh no! Like when when the settings are just right, you definitely can see the difference, and it can be a wonderful experience. And, and, when the settings are wrong, you will regret everything about the mm-hmm. format. And right. and it's kind and of then, like diminishing returns. DVD to Blu-ray, not as much. Blu-ray to 4K, it's really good, but it's not blowing your socks off as much. I think, and yeah. part of it is what the human eye can can see. But it's also by default these TVs come with garbage settings okay. out of the box. And like when we visit my in-laws. They they have a a 1080p high definition you know a big ass I think 50 inch TV or something and they have it set with the default settings and they're like this looks great and I just want to sneak in and change their settings because my oh, eye yeah. starts twitching I don't care if you're watching basketball or whatever I hate the soap opera mode uh, Thrasher yeah it's terrible oh go on go on Alex it's terrible and the thing too is that like when you have that weird default soap opera mode it sucks and then you also have that weird plasma weird foreground thing it it also sucks. But also, it's like, um, like you ever watch a movie and you can tell when they go from shooting from film and they shoot certain scenes on digital, like it'll be like yeah. a scene at night or something like that. You can tell, right? You you can notice that switch. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I think the thing is though is that I don't think a lot of other people can. This might sound maybe a little elitist because you know we're high flute and movie folk, whatever. But I don't think a lot of people notice that difference. And I, furthermore, I don't think they really care. Yeah. Because I remember no, I was visiting my mother, right. I'm like, your television looks like shit. And she's like, it looks great. This is the best TV we've ever had. And that's why I think it's, it accounts for the, the situation, the, life, the way things are. Because a lot of people don't give a shit. Yeah, I think that, you know, the first time I moved, my initial TV wasn't um, 1080, high definition TV, excuse me, wasn't 1080, it was 720. It could do 1080i, which just looks kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. And so we moved from 720 to 1080, which was a, a pretty good, a pretty good bump. And I didn't change stuff out of the box because we did, both came home from work. We wanted to watch Netflix. I didn't have time to spend three hours fucking with the settings. Right. And we happened to be watching Lost on Netflix. And because that's outside, it's so bright. And by default, this stuff has the brightness settings to the max because mm-hmm. that's what it's it's not so different from how it's set when you go to a, a Best Buy or, or one of these stores where they want your TV to jump out. So everything is all um, skywoggly. Yeah. Uh, our eyes were physically hurting because of how bright yeah. the TV was set. And you're watching a show where it's like all the sand reflecting off, or all the light reflecting off the sand. It's just yeah, the contrast it's... is so high. There you go. Contrast yeah. is another one. Um, excuse me, Thrasher. I sort of cut you off earlier a few times. You have a 4K TV as well. What's kind of your feeling about it after living with it for uh, a few months or however long it's like, been? Over, like overall, it's 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 really nice. I mean, that that being said, I don't. I don't have too many things like on disc in 4K. So right. like, although I'll admit like just because we've got it set up right, like older stuff still looks really good. Um, streaming, uh, stuff that's streaming tends to look pretty decent. 
the, the, the one thing, and this is a problem that is less about the resolution, is that one thing I have noticed, at least with streaming, is that the the volume is so finicky because like the dialogue will be kind of low, but the sound effects will be really high. And this is a problem with DVDs, but it's starting to carry mm, over to streaming. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, we're, so we'll to wrap this up. We'll talk about regions and, and uh, the, the copy production stuff in the different disc. But before that, there is something, I think that it's a good idea, but I don't think it's been implemented well in, um, let me look up the, the press release here. In yeah, so like September 2020, uh, a bunch of uh, notable uh, Hollywood filmmakers got together and said, you know, with these default settings, my movies look like shit on these new TVs. Basically, yeah. what we've just talked about. And so people like uh, I'll, I'll read some of these quotes from this uh, filmmaker mode website. But like James Cameron says, we put a lot of thought into our movies, made a thousand decisions a day about sound, color, light, shadow, performance, emotion. Filmmaker mode allows these choices to be seen in the home. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll pick uh, Ava DuVernay, who did the uh, movie that was not very good. Um, oh, based on the kids book. Oh, A Wrinkle in Time. A Wrinkle in Time. I mean, she's done a lot. She did like a lot of excellent stuff. The stuff on Netflix mm-hmm. about the, uh, the five the, guys in the, Central Park the, is excellent. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but she says storytelling is a God, this thing advances like a slideshow. Excuse me. Storytelling <laughs> is an emotional process. We try to share that through our creative decisions. Filmmaker mode allows the nuance of our decisions to come to life in a way that is effortless for the viewer. Uh, Ryan Johnson, the thing that sets filmmaker mode apart is it'll be a pure, clean expression of what the movie was meant to look like when it was made. OK, so the, the concept between filmmaker mode and, and Scorsese is one of the people on there, as I've said a few oh, yeah. times, because we all love Scorsese. Good old Marty. Um, yep. He. The idea was the remotes would have a button on certain TVs that said filmmaker mode and you push it and it's kind of like a dummy button that makes everything perfect for movies. Right. Unfortunately, in the implementation, it's only in a few higher end TV models, which kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, exactly. It's not when really it should be on, <laughs> it should be as um, universal as a Netflix button or whatever you might see on a, a TV remote. Yeah, exactly. But, but I like that idea, right? Yeah, because I and and um I forget if it was you, Alex. I think it was you. You said like the the, the viewer doesn't care, and I think you're right. right. I worked at a blockbuster video. Yeah. I worked at Suncoast Video. I worked at a movie stuff. I, I you know worked at all these fucking movie places uh, in my twenties, and the, the audience just wants what's the cheapest option available, and if it's free, I'll take that. I don't care if it looks like right. shit. The first- the first choice is the best choice. Don't don't make me think. Yeah. <laughs> the path of least resistance. Exactly. And, yeah. And all that. But um Rasher, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think I think it is it, it I think that it is less that people don't care and more that the more that they don't know. Uh, I don't I don't That's I, fair. I, I I guess it, like ignorance may be like maybe like too strong a word, but you know when when the studio's larger customer base doesn't care, I do think that leads to often the studio not caring because mm-hmm. they're like DVDs were at their best when they had to be when they had to sell them when they weren't a standard right. format, and so mm-hmm. they had better features and better and like you no know, more likely to include widescreen and whatnot. Well, and and, then, and of, of all the studios, like New Line, which was a pretty small operation for a while compared to the biggies, you know, the New Line Platinum series of DVDs was like. Uh, as be- as good or better than Criterion, as far as you know, mm-hmm. what they had on them, right? Which is yeah, but 
But as the format becomes standard, they start yes. scaling that stuff back. And uh, right, I think, I think streaming is now in that in that area where now they're ready to scale back streaming. Well, and special features are missing out the most, and that's what frustrates me to no end. And we talked about this before, but let's yeah. on that let's let's cycle back to Alex's excellent point about region coding. Why don't you explain what region coding is? And how you kind of, because uh, we're all a fan of international, foreign film, international film, yeah. you want to call it. And so why don't you go about that for a bit? So, so yeah, basically as a marketing tool um, and uh, distribution tool is that certain DVDs and Blu-rays are only playable in certain regions. If, uh, you know, you went out to um, whoever sells movies these days, if you went out to, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble and bought a Criterion DVD of, uh, you know, Ministry of Fear, you'd play it on your DVD or Blu-ray player in the U.S. If you went to China, you couldn't play it there. And if you, similarly, if you bought, you know, a Chinese movie in China and tried to bring it back to your American Blu-ray player, it wouldn't play because they are coded to certain regions. Um, you have this even with, with videotape, with, you know about oh, yeah. this, Thrasher, with your relatives in Europe, but like, you know, the PAL was the, the format for videotapes in Europe and in US and Japan it was VHS and all this stuff. Although I believe that had less to do with I think that had less to do with like trying to sort of control the distribution of the movies and had more to do with like the existing uh, television infrastructure. Uh, and, and you had higher had. resolution in the UK is what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go yeah. on Alex. But also too there's a lot of other things like certain distributors for instance um in 2017, I think it was, uh, they had found finally found and restored the entire um, eight-episode miniseries uh, from uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender's Eight Hours Don't Make a Day. Uh, if you're a Fassbender fan, that's like the fucking missing reel for Magnificent Ambersons. It sure. was like a – it was big fucking news. So, you know, I find this out, and, you know, my, I nearly hit the roof. And then I find out it's being released by Arrow Media's UK distribution line, not anything in the U.S., so, holy shit, I have to pony up an extra, you know, 60 bucks and buy the, the Arrow Region 2 thing, because they were going to release it in America, but it was by a criterion, so they were going to work on the getting original artwork, whereas Arrow Media kind of threw it out there. The image is great, it's beautiful, but, you know, and I, I got it because I had the region-free DVD Blu-ray player. And um, it was the same thing, like, for instance... Um, well, here's a question. So, like, I only have a Region 2 DVD player, and I've thought about replacing it with a region-free Blu-ray player. Do you need an extra dongle to plug that into your TV via HDMI because of the copy protection built into the I've, HDMI? It's the same HDMI hookup. The one that I have is... Um, Basically, you do if you have a region. Most of the stuff I have is region two. I don't think we really even have a region three any releases. But if you did have a region three, you would just go into menu and then you'd enter in like a four digit code and then put like 03 or 04 or whatever region. And code some of them have it. a limit of how many times you can change them. And sometimes you can do a secret yeah. like like a video yeah. game kind of code on the remote. To, yeah, you hit like nine seven eight something yeah okay. um this one i think you just manually change the regions but most of the stuff is region two like a lot of the arrow stuff and a lot of the uh, bfi stuff uh, masters of cinema stuff is uh, all region two. Thra thrasher what, what do you think about some of this stuff because i mean you certainly i remember in college we would go all the times to barnes and noble to to get the latest doctor who disc or, or whatnot it, it is it is often frustrating because like i yeah. i 
I, I hate the I hate the idea that like I can buy a DVD that has been engineered not to work with a system I have also legitimately purchased. I, I find that also in a frustrating. language that you can speak, I think makes it oh quite yeah quite frustrating, right? But it also like and and it also kind of it's like there there are things it it's one of those things that you know while admittedly some of the region coding does have to do with intellectual property rights and who owns distribution rights to different mm. things it does from a business standpoint make that stuff easier to manage but on the other hand it makes stuff unavailable and that only encourages pr uh, piracy um, mm -hmm. because of region coding. Hey Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about? Well Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders, but it's actually about comics. War Rocket Ajax, it's not about murders, but it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hunter Hunter, Yu Show, Literary Analysis, Comparative Localization, Jojo References. The works of Yoshihiro Togashi hold a specific kind of magic and the people who seek to examine their roots and spiritual descendants are known as The Spirit Hunters, available on the Greenlit Podcast Network. And the way just things work, like so many things that people wanted on DVD in the 2000s would be available in certain places overseas. Like, it, it was infamous. Like, Australia would often get complete TV series DVDs two yes. years before they would show up in America. Well, that sure. So I, I, have, I have two quick stories about that one from when I worked at a Suncoast video. One is... Um, a, a woman from England happened to be visiting Atlanta, Georgia, where I was working in the shopping mall inside the Coast Video. And she's like, oh, you know, I uh, I, I want to get something to to bring home to my uh, my granddaughter. She loves Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Do you have season four? At that time, only season one of Buffy had come out in the U.S. And, uh -huh. you know, it wasn't the same form. It wouldn't work on the the disc, right? It was region A instead of region B or whatever the fuck it is, right? And yeah. I had, to, I had to go into this five-minute explanation, and the, the, this uh, British grandma seemed bored out of her skull, me trying to explain it. I should have just cut to the quick and just said, nope, sorry, England's ahead on, on, that, on that one. Um, well, but it, like it, she, and she was frustrated. like She wanted to spend yeah. money and, and couldn't at the end of the day. Yeah. Right? That's what it comes to. Um, and totally, uh, like you were saying, like, um, with encouraging uh, you know, piracy and stuff like that. Between my girlfriend and I, Arrow, BFI, Masters of Cinema have made a small fortune off of us. Because yes, whenever yeah. the UK sale, mm -hmm. same thing with Indicator releasing, same thing with Arrow, same thing with uh, Masters of Cinema, BFI. I mean, our collection is probably, you know, two, you know, like 30% larger because of it. So when you make this stuff available to people, if there's an interest in it, they they will spend the money. So, hey, you guys are making more money off of us, more power to you. Right. But, I mean, you know, I... Um, I... I mean, we'll, we'll have the guys on the show again. It's been a while, but um, the fellows at the Super Mario Brothers movie archive, I was yeah. sent a, a copy of a UK only uh, special edition DVD release. It has like an excellent documentary mm -hmm. and, and all this stuff about the Mario Brothers movie. And some of you might be listening and going like, who cares? But it's like right. we do. the special features only are on this disc. And they're not going to be in anything else. They've been trying to produce an American special edition, but I don't know if that'll ever happen because Buena Vista was the distributor of the Super Mario Brothers live action movie in the United States, which is owned by Disney, which makes things complicated. Oh, thus making like, Daisy a Disney princess. Uh, yep. Right. But I mean, like, I, I was interviewed for their domestic DVD thing, and like, I don't know if it'll ever come out. I mean, that was flattering to be interviewed for that. But, yeah, um, totally. But, like, I, I hope that happens. It shouldn't be that complicated. And uh, the more and more things go streaming, the more these special features 
just kind of vanish. I mean, I, I first learned about something on YouTube. I'm a big Conan the Barbarian fan. And the mm-hmm. second movie, Conan the Destroyer, which I'm not crazy about, but as as but, we need to cover that series on the show, Thrasher. I'm surprised yeah, we haven't. I thought we did. We did an audio commentary. No, we did Conan a commentary, but that was it. But oh. you had mentioned Conan the Destroyer is kind of the ideal 80s Dungeons and Dragons movie that never I, came out. And I stand by that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, in in uh, the, the Region 2, the UK version... It has like this great 30 minute documentary with the director, with the actors, with the with the writers who came from the Conan Marvel comics. And it's great. In the US, all you get like is the trailer, nothing. And this is a yeah. movie that was made uh, or, or, you know, financed by a lot of American money or dealer or Entis group or whatever. And we can't get these special features because even the special features are copyrighted to certain regions. And it's uh-huh. like, as you said, the piracy stuff, like this stuff is on YouTube and I know how to search for it. Right. But a lot of people don't. And do most people care? No. Is it important? Yeah. Probably not. But it doesn't mean people, this stuff to shouldn't exist. Is. Yeah, right. to us it is. I mean, it's all about, in a way, um, I'm going to tiptoe around this, but piracy is doing the preservation that the studios won't. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, you have kind of these um semi underground i guess we'll call it distributors like hong kong rescue you know we there's finally a definitive version of peking opera blues a terrific film i mean troy hark's masterpiece and they did it justice and they got the color coding right and they got the captions right and it's like it took us till 2020 for that to happen you know and this is like a seminal film of the hong kong new wave of a major filmmaker troy hark and also people always tout you know streaming over physical media and for the longest time, the only way I could see BBC teleplays was on these, you know, dog shit VHS rip YouTube uploads. And then for the first time ever, I'm able to see the works of Alan Clark on my on, on Blu-ray because I have a region free player. Um, I could watch, you know, his movies like Scum and Pendus Fen and, and Love Girl and the Innocent on YouTube, but yeah. it's going to look horrible. Well, and, and, and with, with streaming, like you know, with the British stuff, you have things like BritBox and these add on services to Amazon Prime, which is mm-hmm. which is cute. That that has some stuff on it, yeah. but like you're not even dipping your pinky toe in the ocean, dude. Like telling oh, all so this stuff. Much. I mean, that's there. It's nearly bottomless pit of yeah. stuff, and like I think I'm savvy, and I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, I had devoted sure. a, a former column to BBC to, to British teleplays. Um, it didn't last long because no one gives a shit. But <laughs> there's <laughs> just so much stuff out there. It's well, it's and there's this this thing I've been wanting to get that. Oh my god, it would cost several hundred dollars, but it's. DVDs that are UK only that I could play in my import uh, LG player uh, that were filmed, I think, in the uh, either the late 70s or the early 80s. The entire works of William Shakespeare Ooh. by actors that um, were in w- whatever that um, I can't think right now, whatever the plays are, whatever the big the theater is. Company? Thank you, Royal Shakespeare Company. And so you have like a young Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart. Right all these people doing like the entire works of Shakespeare. And I was like, my God, shouldn't that be available to everybody? And it's not, and it's import only. And it's from like a, a pal VHS dub that looks like shit, but to, yeah. to have all that. And it's in like three separate box sets of the comedies, the tragedies and the histories. It's like, what a, what a resource for uh, education, if nothing else. I mean, my God, yeah. like, and it's so cool. You get miniseries too, like John Lacari adaptations, um, like the, oh, the oh sure, sure, uh, stuff like that. All the all the Alec um, Guinness, uh, uh, yeah. Smiley's people, yeah, cool shit like that. And um, 
the like the Alan Clark stuff, and I have this entire thing. The it's called the plays of written, and you know it's different stuff from like Howard Benton, um, oh, Alan nice. Clark, oh. and it's just like these really cool one-off teleplays. You know, they're not series; they're just you know these hour-long stories, slices of life, if you will, and they're fascinating. And you know, the only way I can see it is if I buy it off Amazon. Dot com or, dot UK. Right, or if you're going to be like completely nuts, there's so much stuff that is recorded that you can only see in a specific library in Manhattan. Oh, cool. where, where they tape these Broadway plays. Where I'm going to mention Tim Curry as I seem contractually obligated to do every episode. <laughs> but the original run on Broadway of Amadeus had Tim Curry in the lead oh. as Amadeus as Mozart and Ian McKellen. As Salieri and Ian McKellen won the Tony for playing Salieri. You can only watch oh, that on an old videotape in a specific library in Manhattan. That's batshit, dude. Yeah. I really That's wish that stuff was more yeah. accessible. Like every now and then, yes. one of those recordings would show up on great performances on uh, on PBS. Uh, on PBS. Yeah. yeah. But like that's. As, as many people, I think, with a certain amount of very rightful, righteous indignation pointed out that when the Hamilton Broadway production that was released on uh, on Disney Plus, Disney. that recording was, uh, I think, over four years old. <laughs> Not just that, that recording they did in London and the original actor they had as the king of England stepped aside and let the original Broadway actor do it because they were doing it for posterity. And people... I, I've seen that Disney Plus thing of, of Hamilton. I didn't get the chance to see Hamilton on stage in a Turing mm-hmm. production or anything. And and that's good, and that they could use do fancy stuff with the camera is fine. But people are acting like it's the best thing ever filmed. And I'm like, not really. I don't know. Like, it, it, for my money, yeah. I mean, my, my family loves theater. And uh, my I don't think I mentioned this in a while, but my grandma's sister was in the original Broadway run of The King and I as that oh. she was a white person playing a Chinese role that has like one musical number in the film. I can't write, I don't know what her stage name was and, uh, yeah. and, and all the stuff, but regardless, you know, she has all these love, lovely stories about working with, um, uh, what the, the guy from uh, Yul Brenner and all that stuff. Uh, oh yeah. That's all. Yeah. Which, which is extraordinary. But anyhow, like I can't see that performance. My grandma's sister did. And, right. and with, um, the, Oh, yeah. I mean, the most impressive performance I've seen filmed was a PBS thing of Les Miserables, you know, one of my top three musicals uh, for my money, uh, 20th anniversary, maybe 25th anniversary. And they couldn't do the stuff with the rotating stage that much. It was just actors going up to the microphone and singing like it was kind of a, a rigid Interesting. production. But at the very end, they did a, an encore version of Do You Hear the People Sing? And they had actors that played Jean Valjean from around the world doing it in different languages. And I found it um, so cool. incredibly moving. It was only filmed like on VHS, like the video quality is terrible. And the Japanese, Sean Valjean, is the same actor that's the Japanese Iron Chef. No shit. Who, See, I who, is, never... who, who plays the detective in the Japanese uh, live-action Death Note movie? That's crazy. I yeah. would have never even gone there in association. (laughs) So it's these weird connections like that that you miss out on from these things being available. So something else... Oh, go on, Thrasher. Well, something else about about region lockout and region coding that is, is, I find extra frustrating, this very rarely is advertised on the disc itself, but in some cases, 
there are region coded di- there are multi-region coded discs where you know the the company that releases the thing only has the one disc but it's coded in such a way that whatever region your db your player is really? then that's the data you have access to meaning huh. if you've purchased the disc you have a disc that has every version of the movie in every language it's available in with every different region special features but you're only you, even you bought the disc yeah you are only allowed to see one portion of what's on there and and that that is infuriating it 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 drives me crazy whenever i find out that i've got a disc that's multi-region coded and it's got something on it i can't see although one thing that was this is a story going back to college but i had a friend in college uh, uh marlin and his family was from the philippines and his brother came and visited him and she, back in the day serial uh, experiments lane was like the mind-blowing anime du jour and he yes, had it all on dvd and his brother came to visit he wanted to show it to his brother his brother had bought had brought with him a dvd player that had uh, you could switch which region it was uh-huh. coded for freely like Alex and so the they started going through the different regions to see what was different and they ended up finding the uh, they ended up finding a region for Serial Experience Lane that had the Philippine the Filipino language track. Wow! So they watched Serial Experiments Lane with the Philippines language track, and it was just like I thought that was a be- that was a beautiful moment. I love that sure. story. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. What, like... So one good thing came out of that. A billion bad things came out of the region lockout. Right, and it's like the craziest thing. Like the in the Alan Clark. Um, you know, Blu-ray box that there's a version of uh, Bertolt Brett's uh, Ball starring David fucking Bowie playing a musical Ooh. version uh. of Ball as a, as like a freewheeling teleplay musical. That's like the coolest thing ever. It's sure. not the best adaptation, but uh, no, fuck, but... it's a cool artifact to have. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you know, you have someone who's you know really into Brecken and you say, hey, have you seen the David Bowie version? And then they're like, what the mm-hmm. fuck, really? <laughs> you know, it would be like saying there's like, you know, Michael Jackson doing Waiting for Godot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there is a Waiting for Godot with Billy Crystal and Robin Williams. Yes. I would love to I, see I, that. I've heard yeah. about that. I've, I've seen it's... clips. The clips oh. are amazing. Steve Martin did Waiting for Godot huh. before. Yeah, Waiting uh, for Godot is like a, a launch pad for a lot of great actor collaborations on stage. Yeah, I mean, there's... I don't know. As, as the physical media stuff kind of dies down and you see what's on streaming, there's a statistic, and it, it's true now more than ever... Go to Netflix, look and see what they have before the 90s. You're not going to find that much. And, oh, yeah. And that's no compliment. I'm not, I'm not saying the oldest stuff is always better, although in a lot of cases it can be. But it, it deserves to be seen. And just limiting people to only watching, I don't know, Marvel movies or cartoons about right. fairy tales or whatever. You're, you're, um, I, I'm, I really think... To the last of the Cornetto trilogy, which is something we should also cover on sequel cast. Yeah. Uh, um, what is it called? World's End? World's End, yeah. Right. Where there, there's an excellent speech that talks about, you know, kind of the dumbing down of the populace when you limit to what they're available to what, what art they're able to consume. And I think that's kind of true. If all you give them is stuff with explosions and some mild mm-hmm. sex jokes, that's all yeah. they'll know. And there's exactly. so much out there. You you need to make as much out there as possible. And you have people fighting the good fight, whether it's a physical media distribution like Arrow or uh, Shout Factory and their Scream Factory horror spinoff or or, or uh, Shutter, 
or the Criterion yeah. channel. Stuff. Right. But but basically, like it's um, like the rainforest. Like the trees are just getting cut down more and more. Well, uh, yeah, I will say trees. though, in the in the pendulumatic effect of that, with streaming and major studios mm. not leaning as heavily on physical media, what's happening is that the pendulum's kind of swung back to where there's more boutique Blu-ray interest companies coming up. Like in the so you know, it used to be you had yes. uh, you know Criterion, Kino, and Arrow. That was about it. Then there's, you know, then you have your Twilight Times, then you have your Flickr Alleys, and then you have your Indicator, and you have all these other companies that are buying up film titles because studios are more quick to relinquish them because they don't care about banking on physical media money as much. So you have these other companies popping up, and it's kind of like the saving grace of physical media because, you know, you have these silent films that are getting, you know, released, maybe you have to pay a few extra bucks, but it's not going to be that shitty transfer you get from the studio. You're going to get the, you know, loved version of it. And it's the same thing with, you know, whether it's Eureka, Kino, Criterion Indicator, blah, 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 um, BFI, Masters of Cinema. There's so many out there now. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, it's so I look at my uh, you know movie collection now, and it's almost entirely collected out of these various labels that are doing films their proper justice. Yeah, um, and you know the, the foreign film stuff in the U.S. I think the I don't know it's gotten worse in in some way. And what you see in yeah, theater is yeah. what you see in the in the late '90s. You did have kind of a, an interesting boom, interest in foreign film as a result of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with mm-hmm. a subtitled yeah. film being nominated for Best Picture and making, uh, for the United States, uh, a lot of money for that yeah, kind of oh, thing. Definitely. In his yeah. native language with subtitles. Um, and, and yet, when I worked retail and at Blockbuster Video and all those places, I can't tell you, and maybe this was because I was in Georgia, which is in the South, but I can't tell you how many people said, I don't want to read when I'm watching TV. Why does this DVD not take up my full screen? I want full screen. But yeah, I mean, people exactly. screaming at you wanting to kill you. It's like... Or like, you know, I can't pay attention to what's going on if I'm if I'm wasting my time reading. That's another one. That's yeah. like it's like it it makes me wonder. And this again, this might sound elitist, but it's like if you pull up to a stop sign, do you have to pause and read stop or does your mind just not register the letters together? You know what I mean? <laughs> like it, yeah. it makes me like almost worried. Like, is it that strenuous to read a caption that says like I'm going to the store when somebody says it in Cantonese or Korean or whatever? I don't know. I mean, the, the saddest thing I ever saw working retail at, at this store called Movie Stop, which was owned by the GameStop people, wasn't around for that long, is we had a system people could type in the movie title and see uh, if we had it in stock, or maybe they'd see the cover and it would jog their memory. And a guy came in and uh, he couldn't really he couldn't read what was on that screen without moving his lips at the same time yeah and it's like and that just made me so sad but it was at the same time he could still look up and see what he wanted well i mean right. so, that's just it's the way bad. that's just the way like some people work you know sure right. but um i mean why don't we wrap this up this has kind of been a wide-ranging conversation on not just region coding on home video but 4k and then i mean jesus christ you have the 8k being advertised on these video game systems and on the new tvs and it's like, do you think it's going to look that good when it upscales to 8K? You're going to notice that much more, unless it's on a big theater screen. I would yeah. think not. Well, and I mean, also some the... stuff is already being filmed in 8K. Guardians, actually, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was the first film shot in 8K. Oh, and I'm not saying things should not be filmed in those higher uh, uh, resolutions to make the archiving, um, you know, be relevant for longer. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those things, too, where I guess 
one small tangent I want to go on to with, um, with like foreign film distribution and home video and stuff is that, sure. for instance, last year in 2019, we had um, the foreign film nominees. And the big film that the studios and the Academy was banking on from France was their film called Les Miserables. And it wasn't the traditional Les Miserables, a different story. Mm. Um, you know, it was a, kind of like a hard-hitting social drama. But the 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 French film that had all the momentum behind it, the real critical momentum behind it, was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Now, Portrait of a Lady on Fire got a Criterion release this year. And Les Miserables, I think, was nominated, maybe even won the Best Picture, I mean, the Best Foreign Film Oscar. And what we have is that Portrait of a Lady on Fire has an infinitely more recognizable legacy over winning a film that was an Academy Award winner. So that's kind of a testament to the you know significance of proper dis- uh, home video distribution. Sure. I mean, when I worked at Blockbuster, I remember we had a video uh, that came in, uh, the Red Violin, and it had Samuel L. Jackson had a part in it. And part of the movie, I've never seen the movie, but I think part of it is subtitled, maybe in French. I'm just making that part up. But, you know, part of it is subtitled. And it said subtitle in the box. And people wouldn't notice it. They saw Samuel L. I mean, this is how a lot of people in those days would check out movies. They would see the box and see, oh, this actor I like is in it and pick it just based on that. Oh, yeah. And then then to go, I have to read and watching this movie. I want a refund. (laughs) Things have changed a lot since... uh, you know, 25 years ago when I worked retail, but there you go. Um, and again, reading is what could have saved that person, that, that relative misery or of what they would consider <laughs> relative misery is if they I, read the I, damn I box. would be the asshole that would recommend secretary to people and they'd all look at the box and call me a pervert. So there you go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, well, I, James Spader really boils my potatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I, James, James Spader is such a delightful actor i think he he said a great line in an interview or no it was a line of dialogue in the show the blacklist like the show i feel kind of mixed on but he kind of like william shatner he can just do a good bit of spin on a piece of dialogue and he just says a variety of textures that's what makes a good sandwich and (laughs) i I don't know there's just something delightful about that he can he can make that same but as i attempt to wrap this up which i don't know how i can um, let, let's all give kind of final thoughts on, on where we think the future might be going. Is it, you know, now we have dozens of streaming services that people can pay anywhere from $6 a month to, uh, with Netflix's recent price raises for 4k format, $20 a month, um, to, to do as a subscription service. It's all bifurcated. It's not like you get cable TV and you have access to everything for a hundred dollars. Um, where do we think the future is going to go, or do you think it'll change that much in five years, in ten years, let's say? Well, where I want it to go, yeah, uh, I want. Let's do that. I, where I, you want it to go, and where you think it's going. I'm, yeah. I'm going to do both. So okay. where, yeah, where we'll do both. We'll each do both. Where I want it to go, I would love it if the streaming services got a little looser with what they streamed, more old stuff, more stuff that existed across platforms. Failing that, I would love it if if some brave soul created some sort of like bundle, like bundle where like for one moderate fee you could get like Netflix, Disney Plus, and like some other like service together at once to just cast a wide net, have the widest number of streaming possibilities. Where I think it's going to go is you're going to see more streaming packages bundled with something else you have to pay a subscription fee for. So, like, for instance, um, our phones, we get Netflix free with our cell phone service. 
Uh, before that, before we changed carriers, we got Hulu free with our cell phone service. I think you're going to see more for that. So if there's something you have to pay a regular fee for, they'll have some partnership with the streaming service, and that's going to get more and more common. And if you're lucky, you might even see where, like, well, if you sign up for our thing, you get your choice of one of three streaming services. And so maybe you'll get to pick your favorite one. I can, see, I can see that happening. I can see both happening, honestly. Okay, uh, Alex, can you unplug and replug your uh, headset? Yep. Thanks. All right, how are we looking? Yep, sounds great. Thank you. Cool. Um, okay, Alex, yeah, why don't you say what you think will happen and what you uh, what you want to happen and what you think will happen? Um, well, sometimes in, in some ways, I think what I want, what I think are going to happen, are a little paralleled because I think with mm. home video. We're seeing things that, for instance, if you, you know, if you told me five, ten years ago that Criterion was going to have movies like, like premier films, like, um, you know, whether it be something like Mulholland Drive or Hedwig and the Angry Inch to something like a Best Picture winner like Parasite, I would have said, oh, you're crazy. It's just going to be niche, old-timey uh, art house stuff like Kurosawa movies and Renoir films and Desika movies. Now... I mean, they're they're kind of taking off because there's more interest in it, and then we have all these other boutique labels taking off as well. So I like that's what's going on in home video. Um, I I hope that those trends will continue, obviously. And then um, with streaming, I think I almost feel like there's there's almost going to be like a bubble burst in some ways, where Mm -hmm. I think that there will be kind of a bubble where we have so many different little streaming platforms and avenues and networks, whatever you want to call them. And that I'm afraid someone's going to swallow them up in almost like a Disney Plus manner where it's going to come down to like where we have like, you know, three different ones where, you know, Netflix, Hulu and, and, and Amazon Prime, like you said early, earlier, are going to be one thing. And, you know, Viacom or whatever is going to take over the other, you know, two things. We'll probably have like, you know, like we have with the Internet now, it's either like Spectrum, Xfinity or Verizon, you know, we're going to have something like that with streaming, which would inevitably suck. But um that's progress in a nutshell. <laughs> I hope not, but I hope not. Yeah. Right. I um. I don't know. Like, I, I'm such a mixed bag. Like, some stuff is better, some stuff is worse. But I, I, I do think that the picture quality at home. Um, I felt this way kind of even with the 1080p HD, but especially with 4K, it looks as good, if not better, than what I see at a theater. Plus, I don't have to listen to assholes munching on popcorn and talking during the movie and being distracted by their phone lighting up as they're text messaging people the whole time. Uh, I mean, it, the home theaters, it, it's, it's better than ever to um, to invest in your home theater these days with mm-hmm. the COVID stuff going on. I, I would highly recommend people get like a sound bar. They can do some surround sound. I think that makes it much better than the sound coming out of the TVs. That the speakers and the TVs have dropped over the time. But to answer yeah. the the question more to the point, um, hmm. what what I want to happen is these boutique labels like Arrow and Shout Factory and all those guys, Criterion, um, continue to fight the good fight. And maybe their disc will be more expensive. Maybe I can see them going all going towards print on demand. It seems to be a more fiscally responsible way to do things uh i I recall an interview i heard where at one point um shout factory said we're going to release uh uh, captain planet the cartoon okay but we'll start with volume one but we'll record all the interviews ahead of time because that's it's easier to get uh you know an actor to come and speak for 30 minutes about his whole experience than to have him come through different times it's cheaper right so they only released one or two one volumes, and then 
it became clear the sales didn't justify season two or season three. But mm. I think if you did stuff like print on demand, you could justify it maybe a bit more. I don't know how they do the, the financial wizardry there to figure that stuff out. Yeah, I mean, Warner Archives does that. They're, they're, yes, yeah, Warner yeah, Archives right, is yes. excellent with that. Um, there's an I think Paramount does some of that stuff too. You've seen some stories of, is it Paramount uh, joined with some other studio to use a third party to print their stuff on disc now, Like, which I think is kind of the way things mm. are going. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll totally go away, but it'll be. I mean, if you thought Laserdisc was niche, I think it'll get a bit more niche than that. But you'll always find someone willing to to spend the money if they really want to, or if not, they'll pirate it. But I, I, I am a bit emboldened, I think, by some things I saw on Amazon. Like for instance, Paramount has a Eddie Murphy fourteen movie collection on DVD. It has things like Dream Girls, Coming to America, Norbit. Oh. Uh, the three Beverly Hills Cop, both 48 hours, wow. um, in, in its original widescreen formats <coughs> for $21.99. Damn. Right? I mean, I really think I'll buy that one in the next paycheck. Like that yeah, seems, definitely. I mean, right? just for the just for the 48 hours in Beverly Hills <laughs> Cop movies, you know? Exactly. And, and, then and, and yet you look at, at something like Fox, right, which is now owned by Disney, uh, their movie division, not the news division. Uh, um, I wish I would have bought this last year, but I didn't because I wasn't because uh, I was unemployed earlier this year. And this had anyway, you know, there is a Blu-ray Alien six film collection. Mm-hmm. It has everything from Alien uh, to Alien Covenant. Cool. Yeah. It it originally you could get on sale for Amazon for like thirty dollars or something. Now you can't buy it new. You can buy it used, uh, gently used, supposedly starting from thirty uh-huh. to ninety eight. But people were trying to flip it for as much as a hundred, hundred fifty dollars. Uh, okay. And I yeah. think with the, the Fox stuff, is all the Fox stuff going to end up on Hulu? Probably not. I mean, these these people can license out, let's say, Die Hard to something right. like, uh, I don't know, HBO or Stars or something mm-hmm. for more money than they might get on their own streaming platform like Hulu or uh, Disney+. Plus, Which happens more than you might think. Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, you and, know, like... Go on. Oh, yeah. Well, um, like you're saying with um, print-on-demand, that's... I think that's um, I always think that's cool. But what one thing I do love is that when I go out, when I go movie shopping or something for, say, like the Criterion sale, I'll have like two or three things I know in mind that I definitely want to get, and then yeah. I always want to grab a blind buy just completely sure. discover something fucking right. random I've never seen. Like I got the Marcel Pagnols, The Baker's Wife. I'd never heard of it. It just looked mm-hmm. interesting to me, and I discovered a new filmmaker, a new actor that I I totally dig. And yeah, those, I, those surprises are totally fun. Even, um, I mean, I'll probably end up buying this, but you know, I was at Barnes and Noble and they had the complete Godzilla animated series that was on Fox <laughs> for like yeah, $15. I'm like, why not? At, at the worst, it's another shitty cartoon in my collection. Okay, right, fine. Exactly. <laughs> right. But, and if, if it entertains you for an hour, then that's worth 15 bucks, you know? I think so. Sure. And yeah. you know, I, I, I have invested in, in things where, no, I have some stuff on digital. My wife has a lot more on digital, but like um, when it's stuff like Bill and Ted, you know, that's finally the Bill and Ted three is finally coming out on disc. Yeah. yeah. But initially they had a, a package. You could get Bill and Ted one, two and three for like $25 or something digitally. And I'm like, okay, digitally. fine. Like, like let, that'll get me to, to sprint for it at the same time. Are there any special features? No, no. Yeah. If, if Apple TV suddenly decides this thing you bought on Apple now we're going to have Apple, I don't know, like 8K TV, and it won't play any of your 4K things. Like, they can do that. Yeah. Or I literally only own two films on digital, and it's because that's the only way I could see them. That's John Sales' City of Hope 
and um, Richard Brooks's uh, Something of Value from like the, I think it's like 1954 or something like that. And it's just because I literally can't find them on disc anywhere. And I think that's it. I really think that's it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I have on digital is something they haven't released on physical because of a lawsuit. And it was, um, oh, uh, is it Ryan Murphy's The American Horror Story Guy? Yeah. He did a uh, a limited series or mini series is what I'd call it because I'm old. Uh, about, um, oh, it had Susan Sarandon and... Oh, feud? What? Feud about uh, Joan feud. Uh, Crawford. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, about oh, Baby Oh, I need to see that. It's, it's so excellent. Great. But oh it's only God. available for purchase on digital. Yeah. Because there's a lawsuit going on about like a journalist that's in the film is represented incorrectly and her estate's trying to sue. Like it, it it's it's very complicated. Yeah, but and it, that's such a dumb source of contention because every sure. adaptation of any true Hollywood story is gonna have fucking, you know, there's no representation now. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, well, and even these things are um it might be an authorized version of a story or unauthorized. They're going to have to make shit up because it's a story. Otherwise, yeah, it would be 30, 30 minutes of um, Susan Sarandon taking a shit or something. Like, it, right. <laughs> if you have something that's a literal, right. true adaptation, it would be all about, like, accounting or something. Uh, yeah, exactly. It would be someone driving to the studio and, you know, getting in a costume. That's it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I sort of rambled as I tend to do on that answer. But um, w- what I think will happen is I guess the same as what I just said. I, I don't think physical will go away completely. I, I will say it was very fun to go to comic conventions in the late nineties when they had bootlegs of every fucking thing on videotape oh, yeah. and like DVDRs. Like the, the, they've uh <laughs> the studios and stuff is really cleaned house as far as what you can get in a convention. But you used to be able to get what the assembly cut of Apocalypse Now on like three oh, videotapes. Yeah. It looked like it was a copy of a copy of a copy, and it was muddy. But like, God damn it, you had it! <laughs> oh hell yeah! And like, um, I still have my Jack, my my Hong Kong VHS import of Jackie Chan's Project A with the Cantonese and English subtitles embedded, and uh, John <laughs> Bullitt. How, how, how does that like, work? It has both subtitles and a. Yeah, it's um because you know the Cantonese um, Mandarin thing. You obviously you're only gonna have one language track on on a tape. So they would um, sub it in whatever the other language was. If it was in Mand- if the audio was Mandarin, then you had Cantonese and English subtitles. If it was in Cantonese, then you had Mandarin and English subtitles. Yeah, I got it. If um, you know, if you want something really amusing, there's an infamous Chinese dub of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, where it dubbed things like it had the subtitles of like "Do not want" when Darth Vader screamed "No," and and, <laughs> and someone took that subtitle track and with his actor friends redubbed the whole thing. With well, the the bad Chinese subtitle track, and it's really good. It's oh, too well goodness. done. That's hilarious. I love it. Okay, well, we've had a, a boisterous discussion about this topic. Yeah. Any any last thoughts? Uh, just invest in physical media. You will be sorry when it's gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just you know, keep supporting these um, these companies that are kind of uh, carrying the weight of uh, you know delivering good original content in its proper form and its director authorized form. So, yeah. Right. I'll, I'll use a quote that I, I first heard when I was in middle school and it kind of, it still blows my mind today, I guess it's uh, a bit corny, but it's in, it's, you never know how much you love something until it's gone. Right. And uh, sort of take that to heart in uh, whatever way you wish. So um, on that somber note for sequel cast two, or sorry for sequel cast special. Uh, this is Matt. Follow me on Twitter at M A T W B T. Uh, leave us, good reviews on the Apple podcast app. You can hear us on Stitcher, uh, Spotify, all kinds of things. 
And um, if you go to Amazon, why don't you buy uh, one of my latest uh, things on there? It is a short story called Corned Beef about a man that is isolated during a quarantine and his uh, corned beef that has gone bad in the fridge starts to try and kill him. <laughs> available as on Kindle and uh, on uh, Audible. The Audible version is very good. It has a lot of sound effects. Uh, I, I don't have the name of the narrator in front of me, but the, the Audible version is what I'd recommend. It's short but sweet but uh, pretty amusing. Thrasher. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Internet Mayor. Uh, you know, uh, look for look for my work wherever fine RPG products are sold. Uh, uh, and that's really all I've got to hype for the moment. And Alex, uh, you can uh, follow me on the Twitter at Crab Nebula nineteen fourteen and drop by the YouTube channel of the Trailer Project. Uh, there's some fun stuff. Check it out. All right. So uh, for Matt. Or what am I fucking talking about? Jesus Christ. For, <laughs> for a sequel cast uh, special, uh, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying. Presented on DVD. Once you overcome one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. Oh, that was a great. Uh, that was from the uh, interpreter, right? Of uh, the, the, direct... the Bong Joon Ho quote. The yeah, Bong when you got the yeah. best picture. Yeah. It was great. Um, and I'll say, join your home video collection and expand your home video library with the latest before it goes back in the vault. With all your Disney favorites. Featuring special, featuring special features like character art on the disc itself. I can't read and watch a movie at the same time. God damn it. I'm not Stephen Hawking. A funny quick story about that, then I'll let you fellas go. <laughs> I, uh, off of eBay, I got a like Chinese bootleg of um, the Sailor Moon series with the original English dub, not the more recent one. Because ah. I thought it's what uh, Ivana wanted. And she was kind of upset that it wasn't as good as the newer dub because uh, <laughs> dubs back in the 90s were more, uh, <laughs> let, let's say cartoony, like over the top, I guess is a better way to put and it. It was probably, you had like three people playing seven different characters. <laughs> yes. Um, where... Uh, Oh God, there was a character that was like one of Sailor Moon's friends who fell in love with someone called Neflite and they gave her a bad Jersey accent. So I always think of that dub where it's like, Neflite, don't die. Oh my God. Don't do Mr. Stanton, no. Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do recall that. Uh, that dub. But I'm glad I have a version of that on probably very poorly burned DVDs that I should rip that are probably uh, dying as I'm speaking. The disc well, it's also with like the I can't watch the new dub of Akira. It's just not the movie I know. You know, there's like I, ten different dubs of Akira, man. There's yeah. so many. There's a really bad one from the early 2000s that the same actor does Tetsuo and uh, whoever the other character is. It's been so long I haven't seen it in a while. And it's funny if you watch other animes from that studio from that period. It's the same voice actor. So you hear like oh, no. the guy, yeah. you you you're, you're expecting to say hey Tetsuo and it's like you know it's saying different lines of dialogue because it's a different show but it's hilarious we're like that's the Akira guy that's that's yeah, Kaneda. Yeah. I, I, I went <laughs> I went to an anime uh, convention. I don't think were you there Thrasher when I went to this anime convention in like DC at SCAD. I don't think I was I, there I, with I, you for that one. Okay, um, I don't think Jason. Anyway, I went by myself and uh, it was a lot of fun. Even though it caused me to fail one of my student projects, but that's fine. Um, I'm and uh, absolutely. And uh, uh, the afternoon of Blizzard and all that was going on. Anyway, I went to a, a, a panel where 
at the time the um like 2003 ninja turtle series just premiered on tv which was trying to go for more like the comic book and like mm-hmm. the head producer and voice actor was there and I was trying to ask him a question, but I basically told him I thought his show was kind of shit. <laughs> and then, like, he kind of, like, gave it back to me, and I had to kind of tap dance around and answer back to him. It was a delightfully uh, awkward moment. A great example that was, uh, was shown yesterday was a partnership with James Cameron, legendary director, and his demands for the best possible 8K camera, yeah. right? Sony adjusting the, the camera to meet his specific needs. He was making some pretty wild requests. 